the talent is out there. The technology is out there. I mean, it's it's never been easier to make movies nowadays, just even from your phone, if you can't, like, if you don't want to get, like, a decent camera. Um, so I'm, what I would want to tell them is, like, go out there and make, you know, go tell your story. Because, like I'm saying, like, we'll probably be able to relate to it, whatever it is. Hello, Assyrian podcast family. It's John in Chicago, bringing you episode 120. Our guest this episode is known by many for his hilarious YouTube videos depicting Assyrian life. Dan David has been seen by and brought laughter to hundreds of thousands of people worldwide with these videos, but it's not just the visual medium where he's delivering the goods. Dan has also been creating stories via his Nope Too Creepy podcast and has just recently self-published his own book titled The Nope Collection, 20 Short Horror Stories, available on Amazon. It's not just content creation he's found time for this year. You'll find out in just a little bit what else he's been creating. Dan was one of the first young Assyrians I came across years ago who was really doing his own thing, and kind of defying older generational expectations, uh, we're not all on the same path in this life, uh, and there are plenty of ways to carve out your own, and Dan is a shining example of that. And while we're talking about content creation, the Assyrian Podcast has a huge milestone to announce. Thanks to our global audience of Assyrians, people who know Assyrians or simply want to learn about and support amazing Assyrians, uh, thanks to every single one of you, the Assyrian Podcast has surpassed 100,000 downloads. We want to show our appreciation and give away an Assyrian Podcast t-shirt. Uh, I work here and I only have one t-shirt, so you'd be on level with me. Uh, so keep your eyes fixed to all the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram. We even post on LinkedIn now. Uh, I have no idea if we'll be posting giveaway information on LinkedIn, but I did want to mention that. All giveaways, of course, and Assyrian Podcast programming is made possible by Tony Kalagarakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Kalagarakos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847 982-9516. Now, for the entire reason you're here, Dan David. Dan, thank you so much for being on episode 120 of the Assyrian Podcast. 2020 has been a hectic, busy, crazy year for just about everybody under the sun. Uh, you're a recently published author, so congratulations on that. Thank you, John, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, the first thing I noticed, I, I happily bought this. I, I knew you had been doing a podcast of, of short, scary stories. Uh, I was hooked on mm -hmm. that. And then as soon as I saw that you had published a book, which I had no idea about, I was like, I have, I have to scoop this up, especially with the proceeds going to a Syrian aid. No, no brainer there. And I crack open the book, and the first thing I see is the author's note of the nope collection that's uh, the nope collection 20 short horror stories by dan david that's the name of the book yep. you mention a need to create 
and a love of horror. Uh, creatives will always have this natural pull to create, obviously, otherwise they wouldn't be called creatives. Uh, but where did the love of horror start for you? Oh, man. Uh, since I was a kid, I remember like being being a little young wee lad and uh, watching Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? And back then, those were like, I couldn't sleep after watching some of them. They were so scary. Uh, you know, looking back now, it's like, oh, they're they're not so bad. But, you know, I remember one of the Goosebumps that really scared me was um, Night of the Living Mask. Are you familiar with that one? Goosebumps, like the... not so much. It's, Are You Afraid of the Dark is still fresher in my mind than any of the Goosebumps were. That one will still scare me with its intro. They they did a good job with that <laughs> <Yes>. one. <laughs> but yeah. Know, uh... And I don't know if you know this, but on Amazon Prime, you could get all of the seasons of Are You Afraid of the Dark. Oh, I'm watching that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I've always loved like Halloween and I always liked the spooky decorations. And I remember when I was a kid, when we used to have our book fairs in, the, in elementary school, I would always rush to buy the Are You Afraid of, or uh, sorry, reading ah, scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes. Those are always my favorite. I think we grew yeah. up in an era where we had like the unedited version. I think they came out with a slightly yeah. more kid-friendly one years later. We got yeah, they like kind of... They like dumbed down the illustrations because they yes. were too scary, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's a huge deal to, to create a book, to write a book and then and put that out there. Uh, you were at one point or perhaps, I, I don't want to assume, still a visual artist. You made videos. Uh, you, you know, it came to making comedic YouTube videos in particular. Uh, what gave you the itch to publish something written after doing that for so long? Yeah, uh, so I actually am visual, a visual artist still. My my uh, my nine to five, I'm a graphic designer. Um, so that that helped me, you know, with every venture I have. I feel like you require a little bit of graphic design, so that really helps. Um, but as far as creative writing goes, I've always really enjoyed it. Even when I was um, like in middle school, I wrote my first like really long story that was like a an alternate ending to the book The Giver, and. Uh, my class really liked it. So like I that's when I caught the itch of just being able to write and, and enjoying that. Um, it got me through college pretty much just being able to finesse my essays. Um, even if I didn't understand the topic very well, just, you know, writing around that. So that was nice. Uh, and I always enjoyed reading scary stories on the Internet in particular, just because the ones that were that circulated the Internet always were scarier to me. Because you never knew, like, oh, man, this might be real. Like, you don't know. So those were really fun. And then um, in 2014, I entered a writing contest for a, another YouTube channel called uh, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. And they would ha they would do a monthly contest. And my story did not get first place, which means it should not have been produced. But the owner of the channel really liked it. So he contacted me and said, we want to produce it anyway. So they did that. And I remember thinking like, well, I have a microphone and I'm writing it. So why can't I just, you know, start doing this myself? And you mentioned, you know, catching the bug at a, a pretty early age, uh, mm -hmm. as did I. And there's there's horror really <laughs> for all age levels. Uh, but sure. who was your intended audience with this book? And is there kind of a, a common theme throughout the stories that may connect with a certain age group? Um, as far as a common theme, I don't think... Really, I mean, most of them, most of them are going to be told in first person just because I think that makes it, you know, more relatable and a little scarier. As far as an age range, I would say, like, if it were to be a TV show, 
which um, producers out there, if you're listening, I am interested. Uh, it would be TV 14, just because okay. there is some violent scenes. Um, nobody is safe. That's what I tell people. Like if you're reading a story about a child, don't assume the child is going to be safe at the end. The only way you'll be safe in my stories if, is if you're a dog, because I will not harm a dog in my stories. I refuse. Good man. Good man. <laughs> the, the stories are a, uh, a mix of real personal experience you, you mentioned, and also just some realistic scenarios that you sort of came up with off the top of your head. Uh, how yeah. did it feel to put pen to paper when it came to reliving some of those more frightening memories? It was, it's actually very therapeutic. <laughs> it's like, it's fun because you're taking control of like this, you know, this experience you had that scared you and you're kind of turning it into a narrative that you have, you know, control over, like I said. So even if it is in the end, it becomes an exaggerated story. Uh, you did that. So it's, it's nice. And most of my stories in the, in the book that are featured the tw of the 20 are not actually based on my personal experiences, but instead people like will share you know, things that they've seen or heard or felt. And I, I just take that. And I'm like, okay, I know how to turn that into a mm -hmm. story. And I, I get the permission and uh, I, I go from there. So when it comes to getting permission, what happens if, for example, you heard a, a fantastic story at somebody's house party five years ago and you barely know the person, do you just run <laughs> with that? Or do you try to get in touch with them and say, Hey, I'm thinking of, taking that story that you told me at this party a few years ago and, and adding yeah. my personal spin to it and using it in this book. Uh, some of them that are featured in the book are actually exactly the situation that you just described. Uh, <laughs> one of them was almost probably five years ago. It's uh, the story itself is called it smiled. Um, that story. I, I don't think I exaggerated it too much compared to what I was told at a house party with someone I didn't really know. And then literally years later, I was like, hey, man, I know you probably don't even remember telling me this. I like, found them on social media and I was like, can I just write this into a story? And they were like, they were confused. They're like, yeah, if you want. They didn't know how far it would go into like production into a book. But yeah. And some of these characters, uh, uh, as far as the stories that sort of came off the top of your head that were more ad libbed, were some of the characters or settings uh, that you used in these stories based on real life people and places, or were they completely from the land of fiction? No, most of them are all based on real people, uh, real experiences, real places. The first story in the book uh, is called The Swing. That's actually the story I wrote for the contest in 2014. Uh, people who know me like well, they'll they'll notice all the names. As a matter of fact, there's a character named Dan, uh, who's kind of like a little d bag. And that's me. <laughs> it's based off of me. Harsh. You're being too harsh. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the lead character in that story. But uh, those the the people who know me close, they 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 knew right away. They're like, "Is that based on this experience you told us about years ago?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's it's that one." <laughs> and without you know spoiling any of the stories, how did mm -hmm. you kind of figure out the the order that the stories would go in? Uh, were there stories that did not make the cut? Uh, were there certain stories that maybe you were kind of halfway through and you might be leaving for a volume two sometime in the future? Yes. Uh, there are some stories that did not make the cut because I do want to eventually write a second book, uh, depending on how this one goes. Um, the order was based on, I tried to mix it up of like paranormal versus grounded, you know, human darkness kind of thing. 
just to mix it up. Or if there was one that was very dark in particular to mix it up with one that's a little more light, uh, maybe a little humorous or comedic so that, you know, so that it would, it wouldn't weigh too heavy on the reader or they wouldn't get bored by the genre, the subgenre as they're reading. You kind of half jokingly a little bit ago mentioned, you know, producers reaching out to you. And it got me thinking just now, if you were to turn in, well, let's say if they gave you a chance at a pilot, is there one story in particular out of these 20 stories that you would want to absolutely make a, a TV episode out of basically out, yeah. out of these 20 stories? Yeah, there's a few I wouldn't mind. Um, this The second story in the book is called Al Beso de la Paloma, which is wow. uh, it's Spanish for Kiss of the Dove. And it's actually based off of I was in I was on vacation in Mexico um, in 2014 or maybe around there. And I actually saw the mural that the story is talking about. So the actual mural that the story talks about does exist in a place called uh, La Buserias in Puerto Vallarta. The actual story, it's, you know, the dark, scary parts of the stories are made up. But I think. I think it can be turned into a pretty, you know, visually scary uh, production of some kind. So this wasn't a particularly haunted mural or anything like that. This is that's where you put your horror spin on it. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is haunted because if, <laughs> if you if you were to see it, like it's creepy. It, well, it gave me the chills when I looked at it. It gave but, uh, you the vibes to write a horror story. So maybe there is something about it that uh, the locals might know about that hasn't permeated uh, the, the global audience here uh, about a, a possible ghost story there. What about actors exactly. and actresses? Have you kind of, you know, played it in your mind of who would play who in a potential TV series or movie? Uh, I want Dwayne The Rock Johnson to portray me in any case. No, I'm just kidding. Spot on. I mean, you're <laughs> you're slightly taller than The Rock, a little, a little more jacked, but he's he, a little he more. comes close. He comes close. <laughs> right. Uh, actually, if I were to, if you know, I was ever given that amazing opportunity to turn any of this into a visual production uh, on like a professional Hollywood scale, that would be awesome. I would prefer actors that no one has ever seen, uh, no one's ever heard about, because. I, I know that when you find like when you see like a found footage movie and you don't know the actors, that makes it that much more real and believable. If you see a found footage movie and you're like, oh, well, I know that person from this show, it kind of takes away from it. Absolutely. So. And then there's, you know, the whole taking the book and turning it into a script. So that kind of takes me back to the, the writing process in general. I know writer's block is a natural thing with just about any author. Uh, Stephen King has gone through it. Uh, the countless authors have was there ever a time when you were kind of maybe three or four stories in and then all of a sudden you kind of hit a wall and needed some extra inspiration or did this flow right through you and you were done in seemingly no time uh so these stories have been written over the span of like six years um so most of them did flow pretty well some of them i know i would get like pages in and then I would hit a wall like you're saying and I didn't know where to take it so I had to I would just like pretty much start from scratch uh because I like whatever path of the you know narrative I went down I'm like all right this is this can't be taken anywhere that makes sense or is believable so I have to just start from scratch and 
it it was hard to do that at first because it's like I'm deleting pages at a time to get it back to a place where I, I know it'll end better. So, yeah, sometimes I had to just walk away from it for a while, come back, stop thinking, stop overthinking it so much. I know the yeah. feeling of overthinking. Uh, take us through the path of publication. Uh, when did that first uh, start to become a reality when you're thinking, wow, I might actually put this in book form and it'll be on sale somewhere one day? Yeah, so um, my cousin, Michael Badal, who lives in uh, California, he actually also did a similar a thing. on the Assyrian podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so he did something similar. Um, I forgot when it was. It was like a year, maybe two years ago. He he put out a vinyl uh, of his of his uh, newest album, and all the proceeds went to I believe it went to Rinio. And uh, it was kind of like you order it. If you don't order it, you're not going to get a physical copy. The rest are all going to be digital. So that's the idea I had at first. I was going to do a pre order, and I was even uh, talking to a local printer to have the books made. And I was almost going to go down that road. And then I looked into shipping costs, which I thought were going to be cheap. And I was like, whoa, these are not cheap at all. Um, it came pretty much came down to the point where it, when I took into consideration the cost of printing and shipping, the actual proceed at the end was going to be so minimal that it, it would not have made a big impact on whatever charity I donated it to. And that would that was like a big thing I wanted to do. So I ended up going uh, searching around. And I found that Amazon has a, a service where they'll print on demand. It's called KDP. And once I found that, honestly, I wanted to stay away from Amazon just because I like to diversify where my money goes. And, sure. you know, some of, so much money goes through Amazon already. I kind of wanted to avoid it. But then when I looked at the cost of everything, I'm like, dang it. They, they do have the most affordable option that's going to, like, yield the most results. More people are going to be inclined to purchase it if it is from Amazon. And they have a prime account. So that's what I did, um, which was nice because uh, I was able to just directly upload whatever I laid out myself directly to it, uh, that the print version and the Kindle version. So that's that's the platform that it's on right now. Okay. So yeah, Amazon is where you can order it and you could just search for uh, the Nope collection and it should be the first thing that pops up. It should be. I, I, I experimented a while. And I think by now, if you search the Nope collection, that it should be at least if it's not the top result, it should be somewhere towards exactly. the top. And yeah. I think, yeah, for what it's worth for everybody listening, uh, I did not have a difficult time finding it at all. Uh, I searched Sweet. from scratch and I was I think it was the top listing in my search nice. results as well. So outside cool. of Amazon, uh, it's not really available anywhere else because Amazon took care of the publishing. So they kind of have soulful. Mm -hmm sales rights to it right right okay and then through october 11th uh, this i find really cool and you kind of hinted towards this uh 100 of the proceeds will be donated to the assyrian aid society uh, i think that's terrific obviously and i was wondering if that's what you had always set out to do i think you sort of hinted towards that with what your cousin mike had done uh was that always a plan or did that kind of come more recently when you figured out oh well there's yeah, I'm not going to become a millionaire off of this necessarily. So I might as well put the money that's made to a good cause. Exactly. Uh, so right now, a lot of people, especially the Assyrians, like they don't, my Assyrian friends, they, a lot of them were taken 
they were caught off guard by the fact that I even do this horror stuff. Um, they mostly know me for um, the comedic stuff on YouTube. So I kind of just thought, okay, I can I can raise money for a, a great cause. Uh, the Syrian Aid Society, you know, is a great cause, great great charity. And I'm like, if 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 in the process I can get people to like become aware of what I'm doing, hey, like you know, even better. So yeah, that was also that was all part of the plan from the start. That's excellent. And and on top of that, I'm going to sort of ask you a technical question that you might not know the answer that I might have to reach out to somebody on Amazon. Uh, but can we sort of like double dip for lack of a better word on that by using our Amazon smile account? I know with Amazon smile, I'm already set to donate. I think it's like 10% of the sale to Assyrian aid. So can we do that as well? And not only does the, Twelve ninety nine, I believe it is, go to Assyrian aid, but then ten percent on top of that. I think so. Uh, I, I don't see why it wouldn't. Right, and that's uh, that's exactly yeah, so, what I was thinking. So I would encourage yeah. anybody that's ordering it to go through Amazon Smile. You don't have to create a separate account or anything. It's just a different URL that I think you could find in the upper left hand corner, and then just select Assyrian Aid Society. And not only does the money from the book go straight to them, but it's also I believe it's 10% on top of that will go to them as well. Yeah, I, I think you can, because as far as Amazon is aware, they don't know about, they don't know that I'm, you know, doing that, the proceeds to them until October 11th. So yeah, I, I think you can su successfully double dip. Wonderful. So a published author now, uh, definitely a YouTube veteran before it was cool <laughs> and swept the nation. And I want to get to that a little later, but one thing I do not want to forget about, and I think it's extra cool as well, it's another form of creativity, uh, is Divinity Activewear. Uh, you have a fantastic venture going with that. Uh, you're a bit of a gym rat yourself, am I, am I right in saying that? Uh, yeah, sort of. Was this finding a need uh, for people not to know? It's you know just athletic wear that you would wear at the gym. T-shirts, long tees, good for lifting, good for running. Uh, and good for just lounging around in. You could just wear yep. it as a plain T-shirt. Uh, was this finding a need for better fitting and performing athletic wear in the gym? Or were you just finding a way to display uh, initially your Assyrian pride inside and outside of the gym? Definitely the latter. Because if someone is looking for good performance apparel or performance gear, there's going to be better options than what I'm selling on Divinity. Um, I did go through, like, I did do my homework as far as finding the right garments uh, that, that that everything is printed on. Uh, I didn't want something that was really, um, you know, really like thin or something that was going to be too heavy. So I, I, I tried to make sure I pick garments that are comfortable to wear, like you said, mainly in the gym, that's the target audience, but you can wear them anywhere. I mean, they're, I, I think I picked some pretty comfy clothes overall. Um, but yeah, the the actual designs that are featured are all like, you know, gods of war and stuff like that gods of power and you know so that seemed to lend itself naturally to the the fitness community as well that's definitely a good uh on brand theme there and the brand has uh, as far as uh t-shirts and long tees for assyria it has you know ashur ishtar and uh, lamastu uh and has since gone on to include ancient greece the the yoruba who i recently became acquainted with so this was kind of mm -hmm. an educational experience for me 
uh, thanks to your shirts, uh, the Maya and Norsemen. Uh, was that the plan uh, always to eventually branch out into other cultures? Uh, what made you think of even doing that? Yeah, so uh, this uh, this might come off the wrong way, but I did not want to create uh, a brand that was exclusively for Assyrians and the experience uh, the Assyrian experience. Because uh, just to be honest, like it, when someone does that, you're probably going to get the Assyrian community on your side, but you're more more than likely not going to go past that and you know we don't have the biggest population the biggest community around the world so my plan was to hopefully create this brand that grows and becomes appealing to everybody um to a variety of cultures but you know if it does gain enough traction and people you know start becoming familiar with it assyrians are a part of it and they're they're like the flagship designs so it was kind of a way to, you know, Trojan horse, the Assyrian culture, Assyrian lore into a, something that hopefully grows past the Assyrian experiences overall, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. It's a good educational opportunity for people who still have yet to hear the word Assyrian, let alone know who we exactly, are. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> and then on that note, was there anything new that you learned about any of these civilizations and their deities, like anything cool that stuck out to you in particular? Yeah, and you actually mentioned it. it it's the, the Yoruba. So I was trying to find um, a, a, um, a group of gods or a pantheon that was from Africa, and I stumbled upon the Yoruba, and... So first of all, like they have like pretty like their pantheon is pretty cool. So that was like a pretty easy choice. But the more I studied their culture, uh, I found that they were very similar to Assyrians in the sense that, you know, they were native to, you know, uh, Nigeria or around, you know, kind of how we're native to Iraq and the expand, you know, the surrounding areas. But they're now living in diaspora like we are. Uh, they're trying to keep their language alive at all costs like we are. You know, they're, they're, they have their ancient pantheon, but they're mostly Christian, uh, like most Assyrians are. So I'm like, wow, this is crazy. This is, they're so similar to us. And it was, it's cool that I was able to like discover that. That is very fascinating. Uh, to me, the, uh, the African link to Assyrians has always been Ethiopia because the language that they speak is similar yeah. to Aramaic. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I've had no idea about the Yoruba and that whole story. So that just blew my mind. I had no idea. Uh, then you had the Maya and the Norsemen. Was there any particular reason? I know with what's modern day Mexico and Central America, mm -hmm. you know, there was the Mayans and the Aztecs. Was there a certain reason why you went one over the other? Or did you always have some sort of affinity for the Mayans? So if I remember correctly, I actually was going to do the Aztecs first. Um, but when I was searching their pantheon, A, I couldn't find like a good record of their gods and everything. And I couldn't find a, cause I, so whenever I try to introduce or whenever I introduce a new culture, I want a male deity and a female deity. And I really could not find for the most part, like a good representation of the female, like a female deity in the Aztec pantheon. And even in the Mayan, um, I couldn't really find many. They were like they were mostly just goddesses of fertility and like the house and you know. So that was that was 
a struggle, but I, I ended up finding some pretty good ones with the Mayans. So I went with that. That's excellent. And I think with Norsemen, people have images of Viking men, but they don't understand that women also played a big role in that culture. So oh, yeah. it's pretty simple in finding uh, the male and female balance with the Norsemen designs as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. They had a, they had a few good options for the female deities in that one. They have, cause all their whole culture is surrounded, like revolves around war. So like it was pretty easy to find solid things that fit the brand, solid gods that fit the brand with the Norsemen. That's excellent. And where can people order divinity shirts? Divinityactivewear.com. Uh, that's the shop. You guys also yeah, have to... a uh, presence on social media as well, in case anybody wants to check out both yep. uh, still photos and some action shots uh, of the shirts. Yeah, uh, Divinity Activewear is the handle on Instagram. That's where I'm most active on everything. I never learned how to use Twitter. So, <laughs> Honestly, I've had my account for years, and I still don't know what I'm doing there. I think I log in. I like about a dozen tweets and then I just lurk around and then close out of the app. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much pretty much what I do too. Uh, any plans for additional civilizations in the Divinity lineup? Yes. Uh, actually, I'm in the middle of getting new designs created for Japan. So that's going to be the next one. Yeah. I'm looking forward to saying that. I'm always a, uh, a student of the world and I'm fascinated by different cultures. So anytime... Uh, I can glean some uh, inspiration into reading more about other other people. Um, that's always yeah. a, a fun opportunity. So I, I look at Divinity Activewear as not only just it's not just shirts. It's uh, it's a fun educational opportunity. That's the way I look at it personally. Right. Yeah. That was the, that's always been the goal. Because like I said earlier, like if someone's looking just for clothes that are gonna you know you know help their performance or maybe even like you know, adhere to their, their physique, they're going to find better options. But as far as brands that tell a story, um, that's, that's my goal to be the brand that tells a cool story and that people can be proud to wear their, they, they'll find their, their culture and they can be proud to represent it wherever they wear the shirt, or they'll find a new culture that they can relate to and can wear that. That's always been the goal of the brand. And we've mentioned you're, you're a creative person. Your day job allows you to be creative as well. That's yep. allowed you to become a, a published author now, uh, a owner of a active wear clothing line. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll, we're going to take it back a little bit to the, to the original <laughs> days of when yeah. many people found out about Dan David. Uh, that was via <laughs> YouTube. Uh, one of yep. the many ways you caught the attention of so many Syrians around the world was with the YouTube videos that you'd make. Uh, yeah. Some of them have views as high as, you know, well over 100,000. So, I mean, these got around. There were non-Assyrians watching these and, mm -hmm. and laughing right along with them. What were your intentions with creating the videos? And what do you think drew people, uh, both Assyrian and non-Assyrian, uh, to those videos? So, I've always really been into making short little funny videos or like short films. I got my first digital camera when I was like 11 or 12 years old. And I've been making videos ever since. Uh, so when I first made my when I made the first Assyrian video, I had a, I had already made some videos on that channel um, that featured my friends and I, but uh, the friends that were featured were not Assyrian. So at that time, 
there was like a it was like a viral trend kind of of videos that were being made that were along the lines of things blank people say you know yeah things chicagoans say or right things greek people say so i remember thinking like well i can do that <laughs> so that was the first video i made that was the assyrian themed you know assyrian uh comedic video and then after that uh i saw how successful it was compared to the other videos i've made and so i just ran with it and i decided to you know keep it all in my hand because i'm kind of a control freak so i'm most of the videos just feature me <laughs> yeah what is that creative process like i know it's a, you play a lot of the roles you'll you'll you put on a, a wig and play the role of a woman <laughs> then you'll revert back to playing yourself and then you'll play a buddy of yours that looks exactly the same as you <laughs> do you mainly think of the content and did you receive a lot of suggestions from other people uh, you, you do say you like to control uh, a lot of the aspects of it, but was was there any outside influence or was this really just 100% from the mind of Dan David? So at first it was all it was all just things that I've seen or experienced and I decided to put them down on paper. Uh, not all of them were, you know, that relatable, but I feel like at the, for the most part, people were instantly able to be like, yep, that's how my family is. That's how my parents are. That's how my cousin is. <laughs> So it just, it was like a, you know, we, Assyrians, like no matter where you are in the world, we're able to say like, uh, oh, that reminds me of my, my family. And I think that's just a testament to how, like, how close knit we are and how similar we can be and how relatable we are no matter where in the world we are. So that was cool. And I know you've kind of briefly paused on doing those for now. Uh, you've yes. shifted into your horror channel, which did start off with uh, podcasting, uh, mm -hmm. now has led to a book. But what do you want to leave people with as they continue to watch the videos on YouTube uh, in the future? So I've met like I've met so many Assyrians. I'm, I've been lucky enough to grow up in a, you know, in Chicago, in the greater Chicago area, which is, I think, one of the biggest Assyrian populations in maybe the world, definitely the country. Uh so I've met a lot of people and I've met so many Assyrians that are just hilarious and the talent is out there. The technology is out there. I mean, it's, it's never been easier to make movies nowadays, just even from your phone. If you can't, like, if you don't want to get like a decent camera. Um, so I'm, what I would want to tell them is like, go out there and make, you know, go tell your story. Cause like I'm saying, like, we'll probably be able to relate to it, whatever it is. So and I think you hit the nail on the head. There are tons and tons of talented Assyrians, talented in multiple ways, but especially when it comes to the creative arts. Mm -hmm. uh, and you mentioned you know, it's never been easier to make content because all you need is a phone. Yeah. Uh, but what were perhaps some of the stumbling blocks when you originally started making videos and what still might be some of the stumbling blocks today in 2020 in kind of pumping out that content? Um, when I started, it just it was very time consuming. Uh, when I did start, I was still in college, so I had more time than I have now. Uh, but yeah, especially in the style that I make them, like what you said, like I play all the roles, uh, Eddie Murphy style. So I would have to sh essentially shoot the videos multiple times and then edit them together. But, you know, not everyone's going to do it like that. You don't have to do it like that. Uh, yeah, so just making time for it. And um, 
Yeah, that'd probably be the biggest the, the biggest stumbling block. And just coming up with unique ideas that you think people will enjoy and relate to. That's kind of why I, one of the big factors to me slowing down on those. It is I felt like I was kind of jumping the shark in terms of the content. I was I was it, it seemed like the content became more forced than coming to me organically. So I didn't want to become too stale or, you know, sure. So that's been a that's been a big thing. Have you been without, you know, pulling the lid off too wide? Have you been thinking of ideas for when you do want to get back into doing that? Is there a, a sketch pad somewhere or a notebook with with tons of ideas jotted down? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a Google Doc floating around somewhere. Fantastic. I got a, I got a couple of ideas that I think will work. Um, some of them are like big. Like I would need I would need other people other than myself. OK, so hopefully one day, hopefully. And I'm I'm a guy who's big on no spoilers. So please, if you're listening to this, no hacking Dan's Google account and <laughs> and rating his docs to find out what he's up to. He'll let you know oh when he's ready. If you want it that bad, just ask. Don't hack me, bro. Please. <laughs> <laughs> and now, kind of as a uh, to cover all the facets, um, you did podcasting for a little bit with the the horror stories as well. Uh, is that still an ongoing active thing? Yeah, that's actually where I'm most active in terms of YouTube. Um, every Tuesday, I'll upload a story to my horror channel. Uh, it's also called the channel itself. I don't know if we mentioned it. It's called Nope Too Creepy. So if you okay. search that on YouTube, I think it'll come up. Uh, yeah, every Tuesday, I'll upload a story. And they're not, for the most part, they're not stories I've written. I'll, I'll reach out to aspiring authors that post mostly on uh, the subreddit No Sleep. And I'll just I'm send them a message today. Yeah, it's a good one. If you're looking for scary stories to read late at night to scare yourself, check it out. But uh, I'll reach out to an author there and be like, hey, I had this channel. I was wondering if you'd let me produce it into an audio. And for the most part, they'll say yes, as long as I give them a shout out. So that's been the process there. Um, and then every as of now, once a month, I'll actually upload, a, a, you know, an actual podcast, meaning it's going to be on the streaming platforms that you listen to podcasts uh it's usually on the last thursday of every month i'm hoping to increase that though but yeah, as of right now just podcast? once it's called nope too creepy as well nope too creepy okay so you can yeah. find dan every tuesday on youtube via nope too creepy he's uh reading uh other authors works uh sometimes his works too but uh, you get to hear right. the golden tones of dan david tell <laughs> Some creepy stories. I know I had, I'm kind of embarrassed because I didn't know that you had kept up with that. Um, so I, I have a lot of catching up to do. I'm going to go back, especially we're in the month of October now. I'm definitely going to go back and play some of those after 9 p.m. every night. Uh, at the end oh, of the sure. month, you can subscribe to the podcast. Definitely do that. Uh, listen mm -hmm. to them uh, the last Thursday of every month. Does Halloween fall on a Thursday? I feel like it's on a Saturday this, this year. I believe it's on a Saturday. Yeah. That's, that's good times. And then, yeah. of course, uh, you can check out Divinity Activewear and then, obviously, uh, go pick up his book. Uh, go on Amazon. Uh, try to try to access that with the Smile account, too. Let's get more money into yeah. uh, the hands get it of with, Syrian aid. Get uh, it with the Smile account and get it before October 11th so your proceeds can go exactly. towards the and Syrian again, aid society. And again, the name of that book is? The Nope Collection. 20 Short Horror Stories. And you'll get it read in no time. Dan, what we like to do, uh, and you've already kind of given a little bit of advice here and there, but we want to open the floor. And if you can say anything at all 
to our global audience of Assyrians, what would you like to tell them? So I've thought about this because, you know, you ask this to every guest and I always think about, you know, what I would have said. So here's my chance. <laughs> um, what? Okay. Let me, let me, I'm trying to phrase this in a way that's not going to offend people, but I, I don't, I don't think I can do that. Uh, the only thing that can destroy Assyrians is Assyrians. Uh, no external threat can ever, will ever take us down. And I think history has shown that, uh, terrorism, persecution, genocide, diaspora, we've gone through it all and we're still around. We're not going anywhere. The only thing that can destroy us at this point is ourselves. So that's going to be internal threats infighting amongst ourselves, division, the constant gossip that just flows so naturally out of everyone's mouth, the bitterness that we feel when others succeed or are getting ahead of us instead of rooting them on, the overall crab mentality that we tend to have towards each other. That's what's going to be what takes us down, if anything. Um, so I would just urge people, stop, stop going against one another, even if you have contradicting ideas, even if you really just feel a certain way about something. If you think it's going to bring that fellow Assyrian down, just swallow your pride. I know that's a big thing to ask because pride has been one of our biggest downfalls since the beginning. But yeah, if any, if, if I can convince just a handful of people who might, you know, otherwise have, you know, gone against our own to not do that, then that'd be great. And that'd Beautifully be it. Said. I think uh, I think we do a lot of positive things and we, we do certainly need to uh, do more of that and stop doing the opposite. So I, I love what you said there. Dan, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a comedian. <laughs> I wish you nothing but the best, guys. You could pick up his book on Amazon. Uh, check him out at the end of every month on his podcast. Subscribe and listen to that. And then every week on his YouTube account, listen to those scary stories, especially here in the month of October. Dan, I want to thank oh, you yeah. for your time once again and all the best to you, sir. Thank you, John. I, I appreciate you guys reaching out and thank you to your entire team for creating this podcast and keeping it going for all these for all this time. You guys are doing awesome work and I cannot wait to see who uh, you bring on next.